We are starting a new sermon series in the book of Judges. And uh, we're not going to go through uh, this book verse by verse like we normally do, expository preaching. But today we will look at it with more of an overview perspective, uh, a narrative uh, perspective, starting today with Judges chapter 1 and chapter 2. So the book of Judges gives us really a glimpse into the depths of the human soul. So this is very relevant for, for all of us, even though it's been written so many years ago and the events took place so many years ago. Uh, the subtitle of our series is Broken People and Faithful God. So this is very relevant for all of us today. Though God's people fall often into disbelief, they fall often into idolatry and even apostasy, God remains faithful. And the book of Judges really shines a light onto the, the muddy waters of human rebellion. And even in the midst of human wickedness, God's grace shows us how only the divine can redeem his people. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at judges like Othniel, like Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Jephthah, and Samson, you may have recognized some of those names, but we're going to look at their stories, each and every single one. And we will see heroes and um, heroines who will arise, uh, who seem to have the potential to save Israel. But in the end, they are just people. They are just people who are broken, who need to be saved themselves, that cannot deliver as everybody wants them to. And the Lord will provide always the Redeemer for the Israelites. But we see in this book that Israel, here in the book of Judges, are really in a bad shape. They're in a bad way. But a new day is dawning when God will provide. From the line of David, King Jesus, the one and only Savior, who is able to save His people from their sins. So even though the book of Judges contains some of the most brutally violent and, and bloody and depraved texts in all of the Scripture, I hope that you will be encouraged. <laughs> I hope that you will be encouraged by the fact that the people of God are never beyond the reach of His grace. And I want to encourage you this week, if you've never read the book of Judges, please read it. Um, go ahead and read even the passages before uh, Friday so that you'll be familiar with the text that we will be teaching. So this morning, I'm not going to read chapter 1 and 2. I'm just going to read chapter 2 um, as a general overview of the section. And as we go through the different points, we will read the, the, the verses. So I'll be reading from chapter 2, verse 1 this morning. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum. 
and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies and all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. As you can see, Israel is in a very bad way, very bad state. As we come to the introductory um, chapters of this book. But this reminds me when I was younger, I bought my very first car that was a 1982 Toyota Corolla. I was a student and I bought this car secondhand, I think it was third hand in 1994. And I have many memories of this car. Some of them good, but most of the memories are bad. Um, I remember pushing that car with many of my friends in order to get it started. It kept me and my friends very fit those early days. Uh, but this car came with a, came off with a, with a clip-off radio, 
cassette player that was installed in the car. And just like the car, this radio also had its full share of problems. And one day, I decided to try and fix this faulty radio. I wasn't, and I never have been, a, a good electrician. But I thought that the problem wasn't that big, and that I was able to find the solution and to solve the problem. Well, after dismantling the radio and doing a bit of rewiring, all I needed to do was, was melt a portion of this radio onto um, some of the wire. And I thought it would be a good idea to put this portion of the radio into a microwave oven. Well, after 10 seconds, I realized this solution was a bad idea. I had totally melted this portion of radio, and it was totally disfigured, and there was no way that it would ever clip back into the face of the, the radio installed in my car, and I was never able to, to use it again. So despite my best intentions, and despite all my efforts and hard work, instead of repairing the radio, I had totally destroyed it. I think this summarizes pretty much the, the book of Judges. The book of Judges is all about humans have failed to solve their problems in their own strength and in their own efforts. Despite their inadequacies, despite their disobedience, and despite their failures, we're going to see that God is able, much more able than humans are, that God's faithfulness shines in the darkness in these human failures. So let me give you a bit of background before we look at these verses. The book of Judges begins in the, the land of Canaan, after the Israelites had entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And remember that before this, they had been slaves in Egypt for about 430 years. So during this time, the Israelites had, of course, been immersed in the paganism of the Egyptians. And the people of God were finally delivered from their bondage when Moses led them out of Egypt into the promised land. It was relatively easy getting the people out of Egypt, but the hard work would be getting Egypt out of the people. After escaping under the leadership of Moses, they spent nearly four decades wandering through the desert of the Sinai Peninsula. They were circling and walking and waiting and, and learning the hard lessons of obedience. And day after painful day, they learned to trust the Lord. Then, under the leadership of Joshua, these freed slaves entered the promised land and were confronted by all the other paganism and the fertility cults that were in the land of Canaan at that time. And they fought to remove this influence from the land, but to no avail. And as they fought, obedience really became an afterthought, and they spiraled and spiraled into a cycle of chaos. And that's where we find ourselves here in Judges chapter 1 and 2. We, we actually find an explanation for their spiritual decline. The downfall of Israel begins shortly after the death of Joshua, as we just read. As the book of Joshua ends, 
Joshua's generation is, is dying there. They're passing away. And so he calls upon the next generation of Israelites to embrace the covenant God with their forefathers as their own. And he calls upon them to decide whom they will serve. And these are some of the last verses in Joshua. Look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So in spite of their expressed determination to serve God, Joshua warned that they would not be able to fulfill their commitment, even though they wanted to. They simply could not live up to the standards of a holy God. And Joshua warned the people, you won't keep worshiping the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God who will not forgive your rebellion or sins. We see that in Joshua 24 verse 19. But it doesn't take us long to see, in fact, that the words of Joshua came true. The fulfillment begins early in the book of Judges. In chapter 1, while the strength of the, the Canaanite kings had been crushed under Joshua, it remained for the individual tribes to completely annihilate the remaining Canaanites from the land. That was God's order, command to them. In chapters 1 and 2, the author gives the reader extra explanation for the downfall of the nation of Israel, as well as the reason why God allowed the, the Canaanites to remain in the land. And in these two chapters, we observe this spiraling sequence of chaos. And my first point this morning, step one in this sequence of chaos is partial victory. Partial victory. So we see the tribes of Judah and Simeon. They are moderately successful, but they were not completely successful. And we pick up that story in verse 19. Judges chapter 1, verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he did not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. That shouldn't have been a problem. It never was, but now it is. They had chariots, but Israel had the Lord. It, that shouldn't have been a problem. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said. And he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. So here we see the men of Judah were not able to overcome the people that were living on the, the coastal plain at that time. Um, they had, it seemed, greater military technology. We see the, the chariots that were made of iron and the wheels that didn't break as easily as the wooden wheels would. And they were fearful of these people. We see the men of Joseph. They did reasonably well in verse 22 to verse 26. But the remainder of the judges in, in chapter 1 is really 
a story of incomplete victories, of incomplete work that they were supposed to have done. We see in chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, the men of Manasseh not completing their work. We see in 29, the, the, the tribe of Ephraim not completing their work. We see in, in verse 30, the tribe of Zebulun not completing their work. We see in verse 31 and verse 32, the tribe of Asher not completing their work. We see in verse 33, the, the tribe of Naphtali not completing their work. And Dan in verse 34 and 35, they did not completely conquer. They did not completely destroy the Canaanites in their land, in the promised land that God had given to them. Look at verse 28, Judges 1 verse 28. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. That is a problem. What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to always have driven out the Canaanites from this land. But they didn't. They kept them in the land and instead made them slaves, forced them to do work for them. This wasn't what God had commanded. And this was a partial victory. And this partial victory over the Canaanites meant that the Canaanites were now living amongst them. They were now living with them. And this spells trouble. And we will see why. God told them to destroy their enemies. But the Israelites thought that they knew better than God, which led to the next sequence in Israel's downward spiral. So now we see step two. We see the coexistence with the enemy. So because the Israelites did not completely wipe out the Canaanites, they had to coexist with them in the land. And in some cases, the Canaanites were made slaves, but they were not exterminated as they were supposed to have been. So we pick up in verse 33, chapter 1. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. And the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country. Remember, the people of Dan are Israelites. They weren't supposed to have been pressed into the hill country. They were supposed to have conquered the land. But here they were now living in the mountains because they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The next step in the sequence is their cooperation with the enemy. We unfortunately see now they're not just living with the enemy. Now they are cooperating with the enemy. Of course, when you live among other people, it becomes necessary to cooperate, isn't it? We live in the UAE. We have so many different nationalities amongst us. And there are many agreements that are made, many associations that are made, and we we cooperate with each other. And that's what was happening now in the land of Canaan. We find that, for example, we see um, a descendant of Moses' father-in-law. His name was, was Heber the, the Kenite. And he now becomes an ally. He signs an agreement with King Jabin of Canaan. 
We see that in, in chapter 1, verse 16. So this kind of cooperation, of course, makes the Lord angry. They weren't supposed to be signing agreements. They weren't supposed to be cooperating with the enemy. They were supposed to have destroyed the enemy. Look at Judges chapter 2. We see in verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Look there in verse 2. You shall make no covenant, no agreement, no pact with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your sides. And their gods shall be a snare to you. Remember, to make agreements or to formulize an agreement with the, with the Canaanites was really to legitimize them and to legitimize their in, in, inhabiting this land. But God wanted the Canaanites out of the land. They weren't, they weren't the, the beneficiaries of this promised land. It was the Israelites. And here they were acknowledging them. And they were saying, you have a right to exist. Even when God had commanded the Israelites to destroy them, they, knew, they thought they knew better than God. And they changed these agreements. And this leads to the next step in their downward spiral. We see now, they're not just living amongst them. They're not just making agreements with them. Now they are being corrupted by the Canaanites. Now they are being corrupted by the Canaanites. We see in verse 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people, look at verse 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. That was during the time of Joshua. In verse 8, and Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. In verse 10, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. How did they know about the Baals, folks? Well, they were part of the worship um, they were part of the pantheon of gods that the Canaanites worshipped. That's how they knew these Baals. That's how they ended up worshipping these false gods. Look at verse 12. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So we see the sequence is getting worse and worse. The very thing that God had warned the Israelites about so clearly and so fervently, the Israelites did. From simply tolerating the Canaanites, the Israelites were now imitating them. And they began intermarrying with them. And they began worshipping their gods. And the nation that was 
to be holy, who was to be set apart for God and to remain separate from the sinful ways of the Canaanites, were now embracing the sin of the Canaanites that the Lord had told them not to. And of course, the wrath of God was brought upon them. There's a proverb in the Scripture, chapter 6, verse 26, that says, Can a man scoop fire into his bosom and not be burnt? In other words, do we really believe that we can play around with sin and not get burnt? Well, the Israelites didn't think so. But before we point fingers at the Israelites, isn't there a danger of history repeating itself with, with God's children today, with us today? And I see this all the time. Instead of, of the church maintaining a, a spiritual purity as God's chosen people, as, as holy people, and living as, as holy people before our Lord, as He has commanded us to, instead we, we begin to adopt the, the ways of the world. We begin to imitate the world. Rather than imitating Christ as we've been commanded to, we imitate the world. And you see Christians using God's name in vain, like the television teaches us to. We see Christians doing what the world does, as the world wants us to. We see Christians watching the things that the world watches, behaving like the world behaves. And if we're not careful, we become like Israel. Rather than being the salt of the earth, rather than being the light that we're supposed to be, the church end up becoming good for nothing. Just like the Israelites. Just like the Israelites during the time of Judges. And we can so easily adopt the attitude that, well, sin isn't all that bad. I mean, look. Look at the wicked, how they get away with all their sin. Look how they enjoy their sin. And we begin to compromise. Rather than being obedient, we begin to make pacts with the world. We begin to make agreements in our mind with the devil. We can be very easily distracted. And this wall of separation that should exist between us and the world starts to break down brick by brick. And we start to erode until the wall isn't there anymore. Until we don't even see a difference anymore between the world and the Christian. We're not called to imitate the world. We are called to imitate Christ. Let me quote Psalm 6 again. Can a man scoop fire into his chest without being burned? Well, the answer is no. And we will see that. And we will learn from the Israelites. Or we will learn the hard way. That leads to the next step. Step five, we see God's divine discipline now upon His children. We see that in verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the, land, into the hand of their surrounding enemies. So they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned 
and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Notice there how the Lord uses the enemies of the Israelites as his vessels of judgment. God uses the world to judge the Israelites. And they had disobeyed God clearly, plainly, intentionally. They did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Rather than obeying the truth and obeying God's word, they disobeyed it. And we see the curses of this covenant that they made with the Lord are now being implemented against the nation of Israel. The Israelites would now suffer terribly. They would suffer military defeat at the hand or the sword of their enemies. And God would cease to send the rains for their crops. And their cattle would no longer thrive and and reproduce. And what God had warned he would do, he now began to bring to pass. And that leads to the next step. Step six, divine deliverance. We see in verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. And they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Notice the kindness of the Lord here. In response to their suffering, we see what happens. They cry out to the Lord, to their God, for relief. And God, what does He do? In His grace, He raises up a deliverer. He provides a deliverer for them who were these judges. And these judges would deliver them, deliver the the Israelites from their enemies, from the oppression of their enemies. And this deliverance normally lasted the length of the life of the the judge. And when the judge died, then the whole sequence would, would start again. That leads to the last step here. Step seven, we see now advancement or advancing in apostasy. And we see in verse 19, but whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. You would hope that after this painful cycle of sin and judgment and, and deliverance and, and relief, the Israelites would have learned their, their, their hard lessons. And they would live and according to God's commandments. They would obey the Lord. You would think. But this was not the case. This was not the case at all. After the death of the deliverer, the, the Israelites went back. They went back to their sinful ways. They turned back to their vomit, as the scripture says. They did not merely take up where they had left off. In fact, they became even more wicked than before. And their sins really 
compounded and, and built on, on top of each other. And things went from, from bad to worse. And you know, there, there, there are people today, popular psychiatrists and philosophers that teach that every day, in every way, man is getting better and better. I don't think these psychiatrists and philosophers would welcome the words that we see here in verse 19. I don't think they would welcome what the Bible teaches about that. The Bible is completely consistent in teaching about the depravity of man. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are desperately wicked, the Bible says. And our hearts are not naturally inclined toward God. Our hearts are very much exposed here in the scriptures as the hearts of the Israelites are. They turned to do wickedness. Things went from bad to worse, not bad to good. Romans 3 tells us this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. That just means everybody is under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All, not some, notice here verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The Bible clearly, clearly teaches about the depravity of men. There's not some light that is inside of us that, that is looking to get out. There's not some goodness inside of us that's going to overcome the wickedness as natural human beings. I'm talking about those who are not saved, those who don't have the Spirit of God within them. We don't have a natural tendency to love the things of God. We are wicked. We are sinful people. There are none that are good. And that is why we need a Savior. That is why we need to be saved. We need to be saved from our wickedness. We need to be saved from the, the power of sin. We also need to be saved from the penalty of sin as we've been looking at this Christmas season. And salvation is something that we need. Salvation is not something that we can produce on our own. Rather, salvation is something that can only come from the Lord. It can only come from God. And we see that reflected here in Judges. As the Israelites keep on getting worse and worse into their sin, the only hope they have is a redeemer, is a deliverer who would take them out of their terrible, sinful circumstances. And the author of Judges is warning us in this book that as we read further and further, that this is not going to be a happily ever after ending. Instead, the, the more we read, the worse it's going to get. Um, the Israelites will turn to heathen gods. They will even worship them. They will love false gods. And they will cling to their, their evil ways and they will find 
other more wicked ways to, to manifest their rebellion against God. So where does that leave us this morning? I know this is a very difficult message to listen to. But it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all doom and gloom. I want to finish this morning by just showing you one very important verse that we've read a couple of times already this morning. Look at verse 16. The, K the King James Version starts with, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Nevertheless, then the Lord raised up judges. Notice that there. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? In spite of their failures, in spite of their, their rebellion, God still sends them people to lead them and to speak to them. And as we shall see, sometimes God's people listened. Sometimes they didn't. But despite all their sin, despite their hard-heartedness, God still loved them. God still sends judges to deliver them. And God is patient with them. And God gives them every chance to repent and get things right. And we see over and over again that no sin, no failure, no corruption, no despair, no brokenness is beyond the compassion and mercy of God. And we need to hear that message today, folks. Our friends need to hear that message today. Our loved ones who are still slaves of their sin need to hear that message. If only we can be as loving and as patient with each other as we expect God to be with us, isn't it? You know, we say, God, I've, I've let you and I've let myself down so many times this week, and I'm sorry. And God says, I know you have, nevertheless. I still love you. We say, God, I'm really struggling with, with sin in my life, and I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. And God says, I know that you are. Nevertheless, I still love you, and I will be patient. And if you repent, I will forgive you. Or maybe you're not a Christian this morning, and you're thinking, I've done too many things, too many bad things in my life for God to have any interest in me. But God says to you this morning, I know what you've done, but nevertheless, I love you and I have sent my son to die for your sins. Even here in these blood-stained pages of the book of Judges, we see this wonderful theme of the gospel running throughout these pages. We see the depth of our, of our sin and we see the terrible consequences it produces. And we see our desperate need for a Savior who will save us from our sins. We see a God of grace who in time after time comes to the aid of His people even though we don't deserve it. Even though we have done nothing to earn his favor. We see a covenant God of faithfulness. 
who will not abandon his people. No matter how far away they fall from him, he will always draw them back to himself. Irresistible grace. We see broken, imperfect people who humble themselves before a holy God and are used for his glory. All of these things really are part of God's wonderful story, a part of God's message and God's invitation to all of us this morning to live for his glory and to be part of his kingdom. Would you do that this morning? If you are not a believer, hear the good news of the gospel. Even in our terrible sin, while we were still in our sin, while we were running away from God, God sent his son, Jesus. Hear God's grace this morning. Reach out and respond this morning to our Lord. Next week we will look at Othniel, the first judge that is recorded here for us in, in chapter 3. And there are wonderful lessons that we're going to learn from that. And I hope that you would join us as we continue to find Jesus here in the pages of, of Judges. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your wonderful grace. And Lord, we just are reminded over and over again of really the muddy condition of humanity. Lord, we are truly lost. We are wading in our filth, Lord. We are truly in darkness and we need light. But God, thank you for those wonderful words this morning. But God, still while we were yet in our sins, sends this light into this world, sends the Redeemer, sends this King of all kings who would deliver us from our sins. Thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus. Thank you so much for your grace that we don't deserve. Thank you for your faithfulness that we don't deserve, that you will not abandon your people. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful doctrine of your grace, Lord. We pray that we would live in light of that this week. That we would love your gospel even more this week. And we would tell others about the good news. That they don't have to live in this darkness. That they don't have to be slaves to this terrible sin that will overwhelm them. And that will destroy them just like it did with the Israelites. Imperfect people we see who humble themselves before a holy God are used for your purposes. I pray this morning, Lord, you would help us as a church. Even in our weakness, Lord, even though we are small, even though we are not perfect, and even though we don't have all the money in the world, Lord, please use us this year in 2021 for the sake of your kingdom to reach the nations with the wonderful gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to make disciples of you, Lord Jesus. May we be found faithful. May we be found obedient, Lord. And when you return... May we hear you say to us, well done, my good and faithful servants. So Lord, we pray for your blessings upon us this week. We ask, Lord, that we would hate our sin. We would run from our sin. 
and we would imitate Christ, that we would be holy as He is holy, and the world around us would see Christ in us, and we would be able to tell them of your wonderful grace. So please, Lord, help us. May your Spirit continue to convict us of our sin this week. May He continue to comfort us with the truth that we have a Savior who forgives us our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and that we would live holy lives for your glory and for our joy. I ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.